lawyer talk off the record, but on the air. Coming to you from the 511 Productions Studio, Columbus, Ohio, Brewery District. I like it. Why is it the 511? I don't know. I've been thinking about that. I don't know. I can't figure it out. I thought you guys just picked a number. Does it have something to do with 511? Well, wait a minute. If you're any time, any well, for whatever reason, if you're ever looking to find us, you just come to five eleven South High Street, Columbus, Ohio. Here in five eleven, yeah. makes sense. See how we serve that right? Or in the Studio C Stu- area of five one one Studio C. For years, this was nothing other than a law building. Now it's a broadcast studio, equipped fully with professional recording equipment, professional broadcasting equipment professional video equipment one stop podcast shop way more than that way more than commercials there's all kinds of stuff going on here so 511 productions here with the blinsky chronicles finally to throw you a rope because you've been hanging on the cliff judgment day we are going to call this judgment day yeah sentencing that's my best radio voice judgment day that's pretty good sort of like a movie voice What's going to happen to Jared Blinsky? What's going to happen with the Blinsky Chronicles? You've been wondering. You've been waiting. You've been thinking all these weeks. Why don't they just tell us what happened? Well, there's a reason for that. We didn't want to. We wanted to keep you on the edge of your seat, keep you coming back for more and more and more. And there'll be more after this, but not much. Jared's too good of a storyteller. We just had to keep him on here. And what started as a one-episode Discussion about uh, your experience in the criminal justice system has ended up into a 10-week saga, maybe more. So, here we are. Let's set the scene. In court. You put your tie on, kiss Shorty, heading to the court, driving in the car. Mother and father came in town. They were living in Kentucky at the time. Mm. And we sit there in the courtroom. You walk in. There's people mingling around. Wondering about their cases, clients talking to lawyers, lawyers talking to clients, lawyers sort of vying for position to bend the ear one last time of the United States attorney assigned to their case. There are several there representing the federal government. You check in, lawyers check in with the bailiff, maybe the law clerk or others, to find out where their case is in the long line of dispositions, that is, sentencings that are to happen that day. Everybody's wondering what's going to happen. There's a buzz in the air, so to speak, and Mm -hmm. it's thick, and you can feel it, and there's nerves because this is judgment day, not just for you, but for almost everybody in that courtroom. There are people there wearing orange in shackles and handcuffs. There are people there in their best golf shirts and people there in their suits. There are people of all walks of life getting justice that day in federal court in front of Judge Marbley. And as he comes in, there's that booming Everybody all rise, mm-hmm. all rise, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, and you know it's on. God save this honorable court. All people having business come forward. And ye shall be heard. Yeah. And you wonder, when am I going to get called? That's the funny thing is you've, I guess it's not that funny, but you've been waiting and you're like, finally, I'm going to get an answer. And then they say, you know what? Sit in that pew and wait a little longer. You sit, we were back in the, as we're staring at the bench, back in the left back corner, Mm because it was packed and there Mm -hmm. was no place to sit. 
And they called a plethora of cases before us. I don't remember how many. And as I sat there, I can only tell you how I felt. I was, it was, it was, I was buzzed with electricity. There's that moment where you've got to have it all. You've got to do it. You can't screw it up. Don't blow it. I could hear every heartbeat. Mm. And I'm trying to act calm for you, but I was nervous. To the point where you, you, you are wondering, am I remembering to breathe? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. this was a special one for everyone because I remember being several pews back from you guys and having that nervousness of I if I was going to do the sensing or if I was Jerry, just having that anxiousness. How is this going to work out? Is this going to be okay? You know, because we had developed such a connection to Jared at that point. Um, nobody in our office, nobody that encountered your case or you on our side of this felt that it was right that you have to go to court that day and hear a prison sentence. Nobody felt that. Hmm. So no matter what that number was going to be, it just hurt. The whole thing hurt. And then I'm staring at all this stuff. I'm trying to read through the pre-sentence investigation to memorize our arguments because I don't take stuff up with me in federal court. I'm trying to memorize or at least get some semblance of an outline in my head of what I'll say when it's my turn to talk on your behalf. I'm trying to get a plan together to deal with every possible scenario that might come up as we're standing up there because really in that federal courtroom on, as you stand there looking up at the bench, you're sort of naked. You know, you're, you're exposed in ways that you never will be after that. Mm -hmm. So they finally call our case. But it starts with a number. You don't even know, right? It starts like next case, bailiff call the next case, and they, they spit out some number, and you have to wait not just past the number but past the next thing, which is words that you've repeated over and over and over again, which is United States of America versus Jared Blinsky. And that's our call to come forward. And we walk up past the bar. Now, this is an, let's give a little history lesson. So the bar, everybody says, I'm going to pass the bar exam, or you're a member of the bar, or everybody talks about the barristers, the barristers. It's because there's that bar right there. you got to walk past the gate, which is the bar, that if you're a litigant or you have business in front of the court, you get to walk past the bar. If you're an attorney, you have that special license to go in that place. And that's the, sort of the history, at least as I understand it. Mm-hmm. So we walk past the bar and up and we stand front and center in front of Judge Marbley. Directly in front of us is Bailiff, elevated, and elevated even more directly behind her is Judge Marbley. Off in the wings, court reporters, law clerks, various court personnel, a marshal or two, I'm sure, and then lurking to our right, the United States Attorney assigned to your case, the assistant United States attorney, attorney assigned to your case. I think he was to the left. He was off to our right. You think so? Yes. You're right. And I had that backwards. The judge is left. Judge is left. Our judge right. is left. Our right. <laughs> and everybody behind you, your family, your brother, friends, you can't turn around to, to see them. Right. They're, they That's are there. I'm, I'm with them. And, and you can feel in the air the electricity that is going on in there. I got to tell you, I have been involved in more 
court moments than I could ever recall, ever remember. I've been in many, many scenarios. I've been in many situations. And anybody who thinks that that energy of a room is just a figment of your imagination has not experienced it. Rooms, courtrooms particularly, have a life. They have a, a, a heartbeat of their own. And the pulse of this room was tense. You could just feel it. And it wasn't just my heartbeat and it wasn't just yours. It was the whole room. Everybody wanted to know, it felt like anyway, what was about to happen. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a bit presumptuous and arrogant because there was a lot of other court business going on there. But I just sort of felt like this was the showcase of the day. And I don't know why I felt that way, but I did. There was a lot of people that wrote letters and a lot of people that wanted to attend. And I remember sitting back in that area and, and sort of hearing who people were. You know what I mean? And waiting on what that sentence would be. And it was weird because I remember thinking to myself, my lawyer head is telling me anything south of five, even five is a decent deal given what you're charged with, but it ain't good enough for this case. You know what I mean? Nobody would have been happy. I felt myself flipping to the family or a friend perspective. Well, yeah, but he deserves this. But then I'd be like, well, wait a minute though. I know how this goes. I've heard this story before. I've watched this play out. He's going to prison. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's going to be years. We're going to hear years. And we're just going to have to pat each other on the back and say, well, it could have been worse. It could have been worse, right? Yeah. We're counting. We are counting fictitious years that never get said. So if he's, the judge said six, then we're saying, man, glad it wasn't eight. Mm-hmm. You know, that, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's how we have to readjust our, our world, our professional world. But in our heart of hearts, I think, like you said, you just want that one. You just want that one moment where you hear no prison, probation, right? No nothing. It's like, but you if just you think, hear twelve months, twenty four months, it's like, dude, where we started with a recommendation coming out of the coming out of the PSR writer. It's like, and here's the troubling part of our job, Jared. Any number is a disappointment. Any number. There's never a good in this case. In in this case, in many cases, really, it's like somebody See, hears. I've heard some good numbers before. <laughs> well, I hear you, but it's like, what am I going to do? Go to your family and say, "All right, we got three, well, four, sure. five, six, seven. Sure. Where where do I? Where does that discussion end? Where you feel good about it? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't exist. I mean, it's right. like there's no way to say, "Awesome result. Your son's going to prison." It sucks. Mm-hmm. Judge looks over it. You know, was that the to, first time you got to meet his parents? Yes. That morning or that, that day, minutes before. Minutes before. They might have already been there when I showed up in the courtroom with you. You probably dropped me off, in fact, I'd guess. But probably. Um as we're standing there, the judge nods and asks the US attorney to tell us the status. And this is sort of the formality that happens in federal court, as if the judge doesn't know we're there for sentencing. But he does. But there's there's still that formality. It's what makes federal court intimidating it's what makes it uh a great place to practice though on the other hand formal there's no surprises there's a procedure it's always followed it's not uh, you don't feel like you're getting homered or ripped off because the judge does it that way mr u.s attorney please tell us the status of the case or what's the status of the case United States attorney tells him the status of the case. We are here for sentencing. The defendant has pled guilty. 
He's pled guilty to whatever offense that has whatever punishment. In this case, a minimum five years up to 25. And you remember hearing 25? Was it five to 25? It might have been five to 20. Mm. It was a five to 20. For purposes of the story, it's 25. I should have gone with it. Yeah. Because I feel like the, the, it's like molasses coming out. Anyway, we, uh, we, we hear the U.S. attorney tell us the state of the case. And the very next order of affairs in a federal sentencing, such as this one, is what is going on with the federal sentencing, sentencing guidelines? Are there any outstanding objections to the recommendation of the nemesis, the pre-sentence investigation report? Because if you remember, what we did is two things in that report. She took a whole background uh, work up on you and she recommended a guideline calculation and we had objected to some of those guideline calculations specifically whether you were a quote ringleader or the leader of the band so to speak and maybe some other things that had some legal relevance under the sentencing guidelines and the idea would be if you played it out we sit there and argue those legal issues in front of the judge before any sentence is pronounced because the judge is going to want to lock in the guidelines and the guideline range, even though he's not obligated to follow them. He wants to lock that in before we argue about the sentencing factors, the good guy factors. And that's what I was expecting. But that's not what happened. The judge asked, are there any outstanding guideline obje- or any outstanding objections to the pre-sentence investigation report? Yes, Your Honor, there are. Would counsel please approach sidebar? Now, sidebars are these moments when the lawyers just go have these chit-chats with the judge. Yeah. Sometimes it's on the record. Sometimes it's off the record. Sort of like us here. Yeah. Now, Jared, you could hear everything at this, the conversation so far, right? He's not, is he, everything so far is open court. Everything before that, he's, the judge has a microphone. It is being, you can hear it. When they go to the sidebar, there's no microphones. They are all leaned in, and I'm the closest person to, to the sidebar. Yeah. I'm not, I, I'm not allowed to walk over to it, but I'm the closest one there, and I am trying to listen to believe, the best of my ability. And I believe at that point for <clears throat> us, what we heard was the, the bailiff kicked on the sound, which is in federal court, sounds like this. Shh, just scrambled White noise. noise. So we can't hear what the attorneys are talking about. But Jared, you're so close, you can probably overhear what they're talking about. I'm, I'm overhearing them talk, and I'm not liking what I was hearing. I was recommended five years. But as I was hearing, I was hearing the prosecutor was pushing for more. So here's what goes down. I get called the sidebar. And I believe as I'm walking over there, because I've been in front of Judge Marley before, he wants to discuss the status and situation of a potential 5K1 reduction. Because if you recall, everybody in this case, all your co-defendants, and we'll talk about them here in a bit, had provided a statement of what they did and what the whole thing was all about. And you were no different than them. Everybody did it. And we were all anticipating and hoping that as a result of that, the federal government or the U.S. attorney on behalf of the federal government would file a request to depart from the mandatory minimums. That, that's how you get below that five years. Now, what the judge 
wanted to do when I got over to Sidebar was a little less formal than that. He asked me about what the guideline objections were. And I made my objections. One had to do with whether you were the ringleader. My argument was, there ain't no ringleader here. Everybody's the same. You're all doing the same thing, growing the same weed, sharing in the same weed, doing it all together. That was the first objection. The other had to do with the fact that there were firearms found at your house and whether those should result in some guideline enhancement because they were they were used to propagate the offense, so to speak. They were used in the course and commission of the offense. My argument was, no, they weren't. And we had provided information that you were a shooting enthusiast, that you it was they were target type things, some of them family type things. And we were we started to go into that, and the judge cut us off. And he, he sort of cut to the quick. He asked the U.S. attorney, what are you asking for? What sentence do you want? Now, this is where, this is like, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is like the moment that you've been waiting for, Jared. Everything is like all there, but this is what I need to know because I'm dealing with a U.S. attorney who has not told me what he's going to ask for to sentencing. I know that Agent X liked you and, and really put in a good word for you, for lack of a better way to put it. In other words, he emphasized how much you did to be honest, truthful, and forthright in everything possible you could after the crime to come clean with it. But I wasn't quite sure about the U.S. attorney, and I didn't know what he was going to ask for. And then he did. I think you heard it. I I heard. I remember what I remember the most, and this is something that still sticks in my mind till this day, and whenever I think of Jared, it always, my mind always comes back to it. So I'm sitting in the back with your family, and we're so far away because that's such a big courtroom. People are chit-chatting back there. And normally you don't talk in a courtroom because the judges get mad. So people are back there chit- chit-chatting. And we're, you know, we're saying, what, are they, what do you think they're talking about? They're kind of asking me a little bit, like, Jeff, what, what's going on? Because you, know, you got the this? white noise going. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm the lawyer that has been a lawyer for like six minutes. And so I'm trying to come up with answers here and not look like an idiot, but I don't really know what they're doing either. And uh, I remember seeing Jared had his kind of, you could hear that he could hear what was good, or you could see that he could hear because he kept looking over there. And he had his hands behind his back, and he he put up six fingers. So he had, I remember his left hand was open, palm, where you could see all five. And I remember, oh, he's trying to tell everybody. He's just saying six. The U.S. attorney, whenever he said, I push for six-year sentencing. And he had a And he said it very stern with his hands moving forward. I push for a six-year sentence. And that's whenever I took a breath, I closed my eyes, I put up the six behind you. And I that, I remember closing my eyes because that's when you just, it just, your mind just starts rolling. It just starts going. So I was like, okay, there, now six years. Now here's what's interesting. I was pissed. I was just flat out pissed off. And I'm sure if anybody saw my face, cause I started to sweat. I was so pissed off. I was nervous. I heard six years and I was like, you got to be freaking kidding me. You're asking for six freaking years on this thing. And all of this 
it, it just didn't match any of it. I, it came out of left field. I was pissed. And uh, the judge looked at me and he said, what's your position on that? And I said, no way. No. And it's like, I, you know, it's like I was almost, it was, it was borderline. I want to say it's disrespectful, but I was, I was. You guys didn't get to hear so the gasps then, But now, I'm, now I'm, I'm listening to him and you were sweating and you had your finger out and you were laying your hand down and you were like, no, no way. So then I'm wondering, well, if Steve argues too much, are they going to be like, you know what? No, we're not going to give six. Here's How about eight. eight? Yeah, here's eight. No, yeah, I'm walking a tightrope. And I just said, I'm not agreeing to six years. Their position is this guy's the ringleader. He is not. Their position is these guns count somehow. They don't. They're ignoring all the other stuff that's going on. Six years does not reflect a fair sentence here. And I tried to compose myself. And uh, the judge intervenes because he does not want to have to argue about the guideline calculation. So this begins this one of the strangest moments I've had in a federal courtroom where he starts throwing numbers. What about five? You heard that, Jared? I remember. And and I think your hand, your numbers on your hands were going down during this (laughs) argument. And he should have heard that you guys didn't get to hear the, everybody. I mean, people that were friends, family, I remember shorty just being, you hear gasps, you hear, oh my gosh, you hear, you know, everybody's reacting to the, you communicating to us through your fingers. And I, came down to four and this is it going came on. down to four i don't want to cut you off but maybe, maybe no, I no, no, no tell me what you said but i remember because you're gonna have to finish what happened up there once again i can only hear so much and i heard it come down to four because now just a few seconds ago i was at six now i'm at four and i remember you kind of walked up when you came back and i said i'll, I'll accept four i'll take the four and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said i'm not done yet Hmm. That which say. I didn't know what that meant <laughs> uh, but I would once again I heard six now I'm at four that's I'm just gonna have to say four sounds a lot better than six and you came in prepared for five came in prepared for five so once again a little bit of relief that's one year yeah that's one year more than I was anticipating less mm-hmm. than I was anticipating so we're sitting there at sidebar and what I realize is going on. The judge doesn't want to have a legal hearing on the objections to the pre-sentence investigation report on the federal sentencing guidelines. And in lieu of that, he's asking me to withdraw them and he's telling me the sentence he's going to impose without arguing about it. And what he was doing was saying, all right, if I sustain your objections, the sentence range would drop here. I'll just, if you withdraw your objections, I'll just do that. And I don't remember exactly how it ended up at four, but it started at five. And I was just like, no, I'm not agreeing to five. We're going to have to have the hearing on the objections. And I was adamant about it. And whatever leverage I had, that was it, right? It was just, it was that. And as I stand there, once again, we had said we had seen other people be sentenced. There was no sidebars. There was no long talking. The prosecutor said one thing or the the attorney said, it, it went 
fairly fast. Well, this happened like that. We were sidebar before you know it, and I was sweating and, and adamantly. I mean, I, I was emotional about it. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. And, and again, I think what's lost on everyone, and Jared has felt it, we haven't felt it, and we throw this around a lot. We, in seconds and minutes in time, are talking to a federal judge with an attorney for the United States of America, you representing Jared, and throwing around these numbers, six, five, four, in seconds. It's that's like somebody's, a, that's four, five, six years of somebody's life. As if we it's are, a car deal. As if we are, well, I don't want to pay for that. I, you know what I mean? How about this? You know, if we take 10 for it, we take 12 for it. It's like, it's crazy. And it, it's, it wasn't lost on me in that moment either. It's like I'm standing up here negotiating what the sentence is going to be before it happens. And we're talking about years, but we, we become jaded to it because and, it's like, you want to grab the judges and be like, that's for that. That's five years of his life. That's six years of his life. But here's what goes down. I start debating with the U S attorney, why you should be treated the same as everybody else. And he's taking the position. No, I'm taking the position. Yes. And eventually the judge chimes in and makes a comment that some of the others had some mental health issues. He says this at sidebar, some mental health issues. And that, in some capacity, gave him what he thought he needed to give a lesser sentence. In other words, they had psychological issues or some other issue that contributed to their decision as opposed to just being a hardcore criminal. And as soon as I heard that, I was ready to roll. I like, all right, I'll withdraw the objections, but I still have more to say on the 35, 53 factors. He said, very well, counselor. So the U S attorney had taken this. Did not look happy. No. Well, no. Well, see, I don't look at happy may not be the right word. I probably still look pissed off, but I do that when I get intense. No, I've said the, not you. Oh, the U S attorney didn't look happy. Right. No, he did but not. For the judge happy. to be acting the way he was, he didn't come into that courtroom knowing who he was going to sentence you to. No way. I think he came in there thinking if he gave us less than the mandatory minimum, if he gave less than the mandatory minimum to the quote ringleader, then he would be doing us a favor. Mm-hmm. All right. And in, in many, many cases, in most situations, and in, in fact, maybe all up until this, I would have taken that as a gift, right? They got a mandatory minimum five. They're, they've highlighted or they've elevated your guideline range beyond that because you've got all this. They think you're a ringleader and they've got some providence behind it to argue that. And uh, he's he's thinking I'm going to compromise on this and give him a, a, a sentence below the minimum. There's an opportunity. Obviously, you serve about two thirds of that with good time. I mean, in my head, I'm doing some math. I'm just thinking you might be out around three ish. Um, and I'm thinking, all right. He can do that. I'll withdraw my objections. I, and I think I told you that he said four years. And I do remember telling you, but I'm not done yet. Yeah. David, you said four years. I said, okay. And you, you put your hand and you looked at me. And I, and I saw a look in your eyes that I knew you, were, you had something. Well, what you had is, I honestly had no idea what I was going to say yet. I don't think. But I knew that he had he had thrown me this thing unwittingly. I think the judge had told me at sidebar he made a sentencing decision 
with somebody else in the case based on a psychological mental health issue. And he did that, I think, almost to duck or avoid or or sort of shove aside the issue as to whether or not you're a ringleader. Because he didn't want to have to go there and give you more because you're a ringleader because I'm objecting out the nose for that. And he didn't want – and I had a decent argument for that. So he didn't want to – I think what everybody was trying to do – and this is not a criticism of the process. It is maybe a credit to the process – we're trying to resolve the legal issues in a way that avoids a lengthy appellate process because I had a decent argument on the ringleader issue, I thought. And he gave me these this little sliver. And this is the crap that I don't understand why. I don't know how. I don't know what I have, what goes on in my murky brain. But... In real time, almost in slow motion, I'm always able to see these little slivers, whether it's a half a question through a cross-examination, whether it's a statement by a judge at sidebar, whether it's something a client says to me. And Irving Younger, he's a lawyer from years ago that used to give this Ten Commandments of cross-examination. He used to say that somehow trial lawyers come up with this stuff on the fly and they don't even know they're doing it. They don't know how they're doing it. They don't know where it came from. And whatever gives them the reason or the ability to do that is what makes them go home and want 10 martinis after it's over, right? So it's like mm-hmm. the, it's the same adrenaline-fueled uh, response, mm-hmm. but I saw a seam. And I was like, that's interesting because we did a psych evaluation. I remembered that you had been diagnosed with ADHD and you had dyslexia. I mean, I think the, the U.S. attorney got to go first and state his position on the case and then it was my turn and truth be told as i stand as i'm sitting here talking about this right now i can't recall a word i can't recall hardly anything i said i really i do not remember much about it i do i do well do tell you go first i believe and maybe again you know and it's so long ago maybe that i just created this in my brain but you tell me if i'm right if you if you remember I think some of the discussion happened about you on the side of the road with the person you witnessed with the accident. That definitely did. That yeah. was that was the end of it. You, you started yeah. out That's what before I you named everybody that came and you said that there are multiple people here that have written letters and you said that these aren't his pastor and his grandmother. They are a federal judge that you have worked with, Your Honor. They are, and you listed them out. And then you pulled out the dick wolf. <laughs> the then it was who the hell is Dick It was Law and Order time, and you started telling the story about how I could have, and a real criminal would have run from where I was at, but somebody else was more important than me. And as you told the story, I remember the bailiff. Grabbing a tissue. She did, didn't she? Yeah. And you told the story, and you told it well. And it was a true story. And when the bailiff and everybody in the front was looking directly at you, Steve, and as that was going on, it's whenever I was like this, he's got them. They, they weren't rolling eyes. They weren't saying this long-winded attorney here. 
they were listening to the story and you defined the records and you said when it happened and it's true, you know, it's there that I had a truck full of marijuana and I saw an accident and I parked it right next to it to go assist with somebody that needed help to stay with a kid who was going to die anyway. So he could hold his hand while he died. And anybody who's listened to this knew that story. Cause we talked about that day one. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. One of the yeah. early ones we talked about it yep. and it never, I never forgot it. And I'll tell you something. I don't think I went into that courtroom with the thought that I was going to tell that story. I don't think I did. The story just went there. It just came. And yeah. it, the, the premise, I think, of what I was trying to say is, on the one hand, and maybe this and I is- I think you said- This is it, right? This is why we're here today. On the one hand, you've got a crime. You've got a criminal. You've got somebody who used every bit of talent he had and all the skill he had to grow weed, to manufacture dope, and live the high life for this period of time. But that's not just who this guy is. There's more. And then I gave the other side of it, which is where the the letters, and not just grandma's letter, federal judge letters. And then somehow it sort of clicked with me. And this is that stuff that makes trial lawyers die young, drink lots, and mm. go insane. Mm. But the adrenaline, something makes me, something came to me. It's like I need to merge those two concepts right here. Right, you need to bring them together at the right time, in the right way. And it dawned on me: it's like you told me this story, I don't know, a year ago, from then, sitting on the side of the road with a trunk full of weed, with police officers coming, your buddy saying, "Let's get the hell he out was, of here." He wanted out. A kid who was going to die, and it was obvious he was going to die, and you stuck around without thinking about getting caught with the weed, without thinking about anything at all. At that point, the weed didn't matter, man. You know, it didn't, it didn't matter what I was, he, this stranger was all that mattered. And there could be nothing more selfless than that. Crime is selfish. That was selfless. And it happened while you were committing a crime. That's powerful shit. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff. That's where the rubber meets the road. And then it dawned on me. It's all coming back to me now. I remember this now. As I'm telling that story, or as I'm getting that concept in my head, it dawns on me. This guy has been self-medicating with weed his entire life. And one of the premises of this is that you were the quote ringleader that everybody was this huge conspiracy. There was lots of money and everybody was profiting and doing all this. And there was some of that, no question about it. It was a, it was not, we got to call it what it is, but for the most part or for a good chunk of this, we were arguing that this was more about the pot, right? It started, you wanted to get high. And you liked marijuana, and then you liked the lifestyle, and then you got sucked into the lifestyle. And then I was like, Judge, how does that happen to somebody? How does that happen to somebody? And I said, when I was a kid, 
when Jared was a kid, when you had the student in the back corner of the room who was afraid to actually sit up in the front seat, who couldn't control himself, who couldn't sit still, who couldn't get A's, well, you sent him off to the blue room. I think I use the term blue room because when I was a kid in my grade school, that's where those kids went. They went to a place called the blue room in between the two classrooms. I said, he was the kid who got sent to the blue room, got put in the corner. That was before the days like it is now where you would diagnose people or you would give them help or you would give them medication to deal with that problem and get them back on track. Back then, everybody just shuffled them aside and forgot about them. But he still needed all those things. You ask why somebody could get here, how somebody could get here who's got the capability of organizing a ride for pride who's got the gumption to stop on the side of the road with a trunk full of weed while there's somebody dying and help him instead of get away. A guy who doesn't even think for a second that he might get caught and go to jail. He's going to stay here. How does a guy like that get to a place like this? It makes you wonder, doesn't it? If he would have got the help back then, if it would have been like today, if there would have been intervention, We had a diagnosis, Judge. We had a report. We had an assessment done, full psych assessment. He's got ADHD. He's got dyslexia. But he's also one of the most capable people you'll ever encounter in this courtroom. That's the trouble with these kind of cases. I didn't even ask for a sentence. And you're right, the bailiff was crying. I think I was too. I mean, I had half the courtroom mm. teared up. Yeah, it was it was powerful. And it was it was quiet. It, it was people hanging on literally every word. And I, I I remember very little of it. I remember it just sort of just it just flowed out. Well, that you, was the. Pro- I gotta say one other thing, and it's it's not it's it's not along these lines because this is powerful stuff. But I have to say, I remember you finished talking, and I thought to myself, man. I really wouldn't want to be the next attorney getting up there and having to give a, <laughs> having to give mitigation about about uh, their, their their client after that one. Well, it's interesting because I didn't make any of it up. It all was true. It no, was all, it was all true. true. But it, but, but it you pulled not, it together, and, yeah. and as I sat there and I listened, and as I listen right now, I'm getting teared up right now. I can I can I can see the old man. Um, but I was like, man, he's fighting for me. Mm. My future is at stake right here, right now. You didn't cookie cutter it. You went full in. We prepared. We had talked. We put everything we could together. And you laid it out to the best of your ability, which is stronger than I do believe a lot of people could do. Hmm. And thank you for that. Well, it was every, it was a moment that changed my world the same as yours, and you're welcome. Because I let myself in that courtroom go to a place that I never had. And it's hard to do. It's hard to do. Mm. But it works. And when you let yourself go there, when you let it happen, when you let it go, you can feel what needs to be done. 
And this is a lesson for lawyers because it's a dangerous place to go. It is a dangerous place to go because it put me in your shoes in a way that makes me very vulnerable mentally and emotionally and every other way, right? Because it's, and that means that when I hear a number, I hear the sentence or it doesn't go the way I want it to, I feel it like you do, right? Mm. So we, we are taking on that in a very real way, almost a, karmic type of way i mean I, it's almost like uh like yoga right you get you get to this place where you're taking on somebody else and it's dangerous it's scary and it's dangerous and what else but it's but it's it's real it was it's as real raw. as it gets it was yeah, as real as it that's gets. what got people what we'd say a couple episodes ago make them look it, up in my Everybody eyes it turned into a tunnel vision up. yeah and really i was fixed on the judge i was fixed on judge marvely and he was listening and i could see that he could feel it everybody felt it i felt it i remember being scared about my future career because <laughs> i was like i'm ne- i'm never gonna do that you know what i mean i'm never gonna do that you know lawyers have been practicing for a lot of years were standing there and watching what was going on and stopping having a conversation with their clients, stopping looking through their files, watching what was, what was happening. And I don't know, Steve, if you even in your head put it together, like you're talking about now, you know, I remember as I, as I think back on it now, and I remember at the time being like, this is like Michael Jordan when he's hot. It's like, you're not thinking about how it feels in your fingers. You're not thinking about making the shot. You're You're just reacting. And I think what happened with, the judge and 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 what what that prosecutor that attorney for the United States did to him was he he lit that switch he lit a fire that was like whoa 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 yeah and it, everything you knew just came together you know it just it just flowed as if you you were you were hot in a basketball game or you had it going you had you had all cylinders firing and you put it all together you put two years of legal work and and and, and it, times you spent with this guy well, and, and 15, into minutes. 20 years of his life right into the minutes time, or his entire yeah. life yeah it's sort of like when you play i used to play this game um on atari what the hell was it dodge him you probably remember that it's like you, this is not today's video games but you get into a mode where you you just sort of feel it you know, yeah. you know what the next move is and it unfolds in front of you or maybe night rider or night driver or something like that where the road just unfolds in front of you and there are times this happens this has happened to me since where I see the angle that needs to to be connected. I see the points, all the parts of this that are floating around there, and I find and I see and I feel the way to make it one. And that story there was it, right? You've got a federal judge, a mayor, firemen, all these legitimate people who know you as this person, and then you've got a drug racket going on over here. Mm-hmm. That person that's run afoul of the federal laws. And if you asked any of those people over here, do they know this guy over here? They'd say no and vice versa, right? It's, 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 it's mm-hmm. this weird, weird, weird thing. And at the same time, we've got to be careful not to say, not to agree that you really were a ringleader, right? Because, you know, it's like we're – and that wasn't lost on me that we're dancing around that, that very topic here. But it – it was a positive leadership role 
in a way more than it was a negative one, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's the that's the odd thing about it, and I think it was that's labeled what it, that way. What are we, Belinsky Inc.? Yeah, they oh, call it Belinsky Inc. That's, that's the Belinsky Incorporated. Yeah, it's like that's what they the, even the investigators labeled it. Did the I don't remember this. Did the United States Attorney did he respond to what you had to say? Or the judge went straight into sentencing after that. I don't think he said anything. Did you talk? I don't remember if you talked. I, he would have given you. An I did. I did talk. I think he I did. did. He. I did. I think after, he, after you said that, he asked me. He said, "Mr. Belinsky, you have done all these things. Mm. You own a business. You employ this many people, and you have for this many years." How did you get in my courtroom? Why are you in my courtroom? I answered to him that I apologized. I apologized to the court. I apologized to the United States of America. I felt bad for what I had done to my mother, my father, where I put them. Because you got to remember... As much as I talk about how bad I felt, how I was stressed out, and you asked me how I felt this morning, how did my mother and father feel? The only person that put them in that situation was me. Mm. They lost sleep. They've lost time. They've been worried. And I did that to them. And I owed everybody an apology. I owed an apology to the people that were standing behind me. I was glad that they felt that they did not agree with what I have done, but they had known me long enough and seen what I've done that they believe that what I have done in my life outweighed the wrong. I didn't say that to the judge. I, I, that, that was my feelings inside. I remember. I, you, you now did you say said, that. Not, 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 but it, 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 I don't remember exactly what, you what said, I said. What you said conveyed that. Yes. That's that's the key. I walked through that. I, I asked him. I said, "What I you know mean? What I ask for you is the ability for me to continue to move forward, for me to correct the wrongs that I have done, for me to continue to be contributing to society. I would like to continue to employ people. I would like to continue to be an entrepreneur. You know, I mean." I've gotten a high school education, guys. I was lucky to get that. You're doing a lot better than some people with college education. Do you remember, Steve, at that moment? So everybody's done. Everybody's done talking, and he's sort of marbly said his piece. Because we've heard six, five, maybe four-ish. I mean, the last number that was thrown out was four, and then Steve gave his speech. Do you remember thinking, Steve, what you where you hope he lands? Maybe you cut that in half at two, and that would be good. Or did I, you just? Sort I of, I just I don't. You're probably still thinking you're getting four. Maybe he'll cut a little bit more. Off. I thought to myself, I could probably cut it back. That's when I said I wasn't done because I heard that I felt that little angle about the yeah. psychological thing. Yeah. I was just like, this judge cares about that. That's important to him. We're going to give him that, but we got to give that to him in a way. I can't say I came up with this in real time, but we, we want, I think my thought or my instinct was to give that in a in a indirect way. It to wouldn't not, have worked, not, yeah, to go up there and say, 
Well, just like the other kid, he's got a psychological problem (laughs) and he's got ADHD and it's undiagnosed, right? That wouldn't work. We first needed to tell this judge who we were dealing with and then offer an explanation as to why we're dealing with him. And then you grab the heart, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you grab the heart. And I think- I was the last to speak. You were the last to speak. Yeah. I remember the why are you in my courtroom. I did I didn't until you said it. But yeah. And he didn't ask me. He did the last time I was in front of him on another case recently, he asked me what I thought the sentence should be. I don't remember him asking me that on the record. That's the worst question. That's like being in a college class and being like, You give yourself the grade. Be fair. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, well, well that's, that was easy for me. A <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well yeah. Right. Uh so now it's time. For him to deliver the execution of sentence, right? So now he's going to pronounce the sentence, and he even says it that way. I will now pronounce the court will now pronounce the sentence, and he goes through this. I don't remember. You probably remember better than I do, Jared. At that point, because once you come off a speech like that, it's like, all right, now you're at the I can't control anything more. Yeah, it's done, right? I've done my that. That I can go home and know that if I I couldn't have done any better, right? I've given Mm -hmm. everything I can possibly. I may have could have done better, but I couldn't give any more. I couldn't try any harder. Mm-hmm. And I remember him talking for a while. He talked for a while. And then at the end, he did say, I have been delivering and listening to you speak. I can't, I can't quote him, but I remember he, he was saying that he was listening. I remember that. Yep. I remember he was listening. He said, I have been listening to what has been brought before me. He didn't leave the bench, right? No. He no. sat there the whole Somebody time. Somebody else was there. Yeah. And he, he, he referenced the psychological evaluation. He said he had forgotten or he, didn't, he hadn't put together that there was that diagnosis. And then, he's about, then he goes to pronounce sentence. And he does this in such a, an exaggerated way. That it was almost like, all right, I'm going to give it to you, right? And he says, the court will now pronounce a sentence. Who wants to say it? One month. <laughs> this is what he said. I remember I just I froze. It was like one month, five years of reporting probation. With the knowledge that if I mess up, there will be time on the shelf. Knowing that I were to go forward for a number of years, I could definitely go back. That it could all be brought back and I could be resentenced. You're on probation. I'm on probation. One month in federal penitentiary. You'd be happy. I remember I thanked him. <laughs> I said, thank you, Your Honor. Well, here's what's interesting. I think I said, thank you for believing in me. You did. You did. And what is, I guess what we need, what I need to impart here is that it was the right sentence. All right? This wasn't like we tricked a judge into no. giving you one month. It was the right sentence. We didn't trick him. We didn't dupe him. We didn't give him false information. We didn't do any of that. 
We didn't whitewash any of it. That was the correct sentence. He saw it and he did it, and it's it's a it's a credit to him that he was able to do that and see it and give you the right sentence. I, the strangest sentencing I still maybe have ever been a part of. It was like, I mean, you're going in thinking five. You hear six, you get pissed off. You hear four, and you're, oh my gosh, you almost breathe easy. I, re- I was relieved on four. I was relieved at four. Yeah. It's like four. I have four. When, when, whenever and he you hear gave, one, one, I, like the, I did not know if I was dreaming or not. Whenever it, I was like, did he really? I think I looked at you and I like this. I did. I, 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 I thank you for believing in me. As I think about this more, I'm pretty sure I thought after the sentence and you were saying thank you was one year because I heard the one. Because we're far, that's a big courtroom. We're far back. I mean, they got, you know, they got the the, the microphones and everything, but you can't hear great. And then, you know, somebody heard it correctly. So this is 30 days, you know what I mean? And, he, he, and I'm just like, huh? 30 days? And he exaggerated the one. He's like, he, like, he looked at us like, one month. <laughs> I was just like. One month. I'll take it. Like, all right. No objections. So then there's that, then there's that weird business afterwards. It's like, he has to go through these, like, <sighs> you have to, he has to offer you the ability to uh, object and appeal and go through all this. And, you know, by then it's like, we just want to go out and talk in the hallway at this point. Yeah. Judge, right? <laughs> we're cool. Yeah. No, we're, we're, we're good. We're no good. objections, no Did appeals. Did you make the recommendation we're at that good. point? For where? <laughs> I might've. And that was, that was in there. I think it I was. Think I think that probably happened earlier, but we, uh, then we had to go to the federal building. We, we go we, meet up with the marshals. We had to go meet up with the marshals. Start some processing. So here's what happens. It's not like in your situation, and not because of anything we did. It's pretty normal that they're going to take you out the back door and make you serve 30 days right out the back door. Um, you'd been released on bond all the way through without issues. We asked for a self-surrender date, meaning you don't go to jail right away. And that means that we got to go do some processing with the U.S. Marshals, check in and, and get that stuff, whatever it is, boxes they got to check, they got to check. So we go to the Marshals' office, and uh, you reminded me of this today. It's like I, I never even quite know what they do. I mean, I was, usually what I do is I just say, all right, they're going to take care of you here, and then <laughs> I'll see you later. See you later. You know? yeah. But I stuck you never around. Know what they do you stuck day. around. You, you went with me. I went with you. We get right? in the elevator. We got a couple of Marshals. We're in the elevator and we get out and this guy fill out some paperwork and uh, I mean they take your fingerprints multiple multiple times and they were in, and they had to take fingerprints and Marshall looks at the two of us and he says, "Who's the who's the attorney?" <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't. They weren't sure. Did you shave your sideburns oh, for that yeah, thing? Yeah, I can't I, remember. I, that. Didn't, I, I, I've I never had, seen oh, you. Oh no, trust me. Yeah, yeah. I, I I didn't have any sideburns. Yeah. I had a nice tight hair there. Yeah. I had to, had to, had my my suit pressed. That's the, awesome. The Windsor knot was in place. I like it. And uh, I remember I kind of just sniggered, but they were like, "We're not sure. usually." He said, "Usually I can pick them out. <laughs> I'm I'm really not able to pick out who's the criminal here." It's uh, yeah, and, and all those kind of things probably would have been annoying. Except we just heard one month. Yeah. <laughs> We're just like. Oh, you got to be the happiest guy they ever dealt with going to a federal penitentiary for a period so, of time. Yeah. That was such a, I don't know. That was just such an intense day. And then it was all done. And, and I, I, the last thing I remember, I don't actually remember walking out of the courthouse with you. I do remember walking down the sidewalk over towards Marconi, uh, right mm-hmm. outside. We were opposite 
on Marconi of the police department over on the, I guess that would be the south or the northeast corner of that sidewalk, sort of saying goodbye to your parents. In front of that parking garage. It's not there anymore, right? And Yeah, in front of that parking garage that they've, they've demolished yeah. and sort of having whatever last words of, you know, farewell to your folks. And uh, that was it. And it was over. I remember you calling me later that day. And you were going to drop the top on the GTO, and you were going to take your boys for a ride. Because it was a beautiful day. It was a gorgeous fall day. Uh, it was the, like, like not, not you, can, you, you can hear the leaves rolling with the wind, and it was a beautiful day. And it, it, it was a good day. It, it, was, it was a good day. And then I remember at one point when I talked to you, and you're like, well, all right, Jared, uh, and then it was kind of a hold, like, oh, are we breaking up? Now what? Am I ever going to see you again? Is, is, yeah, this, right. is this goodbye? Yeah. You know, is this is this the end? Um, which, no, <laughs> no. It, well, here it, we are, 15 years or however long later. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite 15. Yeah, not quite, but later. 10 years later. And it's, uh, I, I, I don't know, I do remember, I vaguely remember calling you or feeling compelled to say, holy shit. You're like, this is a big day. Yeah. You're like, this was a good day. It was a day that changed my career. We've said this before, and I don't mean to get cliche about it, but it changed my career. I think it changed your life a lot. Changed my life a lot. And it, it, was a, it was a monumental day in a lot of ways. It had a lot of impact on me personally, my business professionally, and obviously you. And Tremendous impact on me. I don't even know. It's like I said. It's like there are, time, there are moments in your life where all these forces come together your past, your future, your present, everything is right there. And somehow it's important. And this was one of those moments. Mm -hmm. and early, early on for me, this was the, this was the reason we do what we do. It's like, yeah, you made a mistake, but I've always seen that. I've, I, you know, people, I made a thousand mistakes in my life. You know what I mean? Maybe even criminal mistakes, you know, but it's like to, to stand there and to advocate for somebody was the reason I went to law school. That's what I wanted to do. You know, to stand up for the person that's made a mistake, but deep down they're a good person. And break it out of the normal mold. Right. Do it and, different. And do it real. Mm -hmm. Do it real. That's the lesson to take away from this. Yep. If you're a lawyer listening, be real. Not being cliche. It's not. A, it's like be real. In order to do that, you're going to get exposed. You got to be real. If you're gonna if you're gonna have that kind of a successful sentencing or disposition or anything else in a courtroom in front of a jury in front of whatever whatever you gotta be real. You know what else you gotta be real? Podcast right here on Lawyer Talk. <laughs> you gotta be real. Yeah. So we got more to do. It ain't over yet. It ain't over till it's over. I'm not gonna lie. I I think the best is coming. All right. So maybe in the next episode here. The intense stuff. We it's on the table now. The emotional stuff is on the table now. There's some. There's more to it, obviously, but we got to talk about that one month. We got to talk about that five years, and I think most important, we have to talk about where we are now. Mm -hmm. Where we are now, mm -hmm. because everything that we've talked about here, everything we've shared, all the bad stuff that you've shared with everybody, brought you to a place that's freaking awesome, and I think you can't get to that. Nobody else or people, uh, what's the best way to say it? If somebody else is going to walk in your steps and get to a good place in their life, 
you have to walk both sides of it. You got to use, you got to walk both paths. You got to see it all. You got to feel it. You got to understand it. And you got to be there. So the funny stuff that or the jokes we're making about this or that or the other, or the sad stuff that we've talked about or whatever it is, it's all part of it. It's all part of that journey. So if you're going to bring it back home and really talk about how do you get to a successful place in life, it ain't ever easy. Nope. Right? So that's why we're doing it here on Lawyer Talk, off the record, but on the air. Until now.